I think this new world that we will encounter and this new movement, it's all about the people. Before it was all about the companies. You would go to Silicon Valley because there were a lot of companies there, a lot of entrepreneurs, and you wanted to be in that ecosystem. Now it's about attracting people, attracting talent, and that's what's going to generate the new ecosystems because the rest is going to be digital. Welcome to Building Remotely, the podcast where we talk with founders and leaders of remote companies. Together with them, we aim to uncover hidden insights that you can use when building a startup remotely. I'm your host, Sandre, the founder and CEO of SafetyWing, a Y Combinator-backed startup building a global social safety net for remote workers. Let's begin. Today, I'm joined by Nacho Rodriguez. Nacho is the founder of Repeople and Nomad City Gran Canaria an ecosystem and information source for digital nomads in the Canary Islands and globally. Welcome to the podcast. Great to be here. So together with Nacho today, we will discuss the creation of infrastructure for people working abroad, as well as both the importance of and what building an ecosystem for remote workers mean. So before we get into that, What's your life story? How did you get into founding Repeople and Nomad Cities? How did you recognize this as something that needed to be built? Well, long story short, about six years ago, I decided to open a co-working space as a side project that originally was going to host a company that we were founding and, and we had too much space available. So we decided to open it to others. And then already Las Palmas de Gran Canaria, the city where I'm based here in the Canary Islands, was already becoming sort of like a popular destination for digital nomads. And that's when I understood or started learning about this movement, understood that this was possible, uh, this lifestyle and this way of, of working, and decided to really dive deep into it. And not only that, but also start promoting the destination to attract more remote workers and digital nomads to the Canary Islands. Mm. I see. How did you get interested in remote work and sort of the nomad scene? Well, I have a technical background and myself, I've always enjoyed working flexibly in the companies that I've worked for throughout my career, because I am very keen on balancing, you know, work and life, sort of like the lifestyle part of things. Hmm. I was born and raised in the Canary Islands, first of all. I, I then lived couple of years, almost five years in, in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Also spent some time living in Northern Europe, in Germany, in Berlin in particular, until I traveled quite a bit around Europe and some in, in Asia. At one point, I realized that I really liked it at home, basically. I really liked living in the Canary Islands and the lifestyle that that offers. Therefore, decided to go back. And after 10 years working on a family business, I encountered this movement. Mm. And for me, it was sort of like the peace that I was missing in my own hometown. This interaction with interesting people from all over the world, living in my own city, interacting with the local community. And that's one of the parts of this remote work movement that I enjoy the most. The potential to attract interested people from all over the world to my hometown to build a community and to build an ecosystem. And that's what we have been working on ever since. I see. So you're kind of, you're doing it for your hometown first and foremost, and you see this as an opportunity to build something really lasting and meaningful for your community. Well, selfishly, yes. I wanted to make my hometown even better than what it already was by actually inviting this community to come and trying to make the community thrive 
and generate a socioeconomic impact in my own community. But obviously, after five years working around this, it's been a very interesting learning experience, all the things and all the projects that we have worked on around, you know, building and this ecosystem. And it's obviously something that could be replicated in many other places. Yeah. The Canary Islands have a lot of natural values that position it as a very good destination. And in fact, it was already organically becoming a hot spot before we started realizing it. But this could be replicated in many other parts of the world. And this pandemic is just accelerating this transition. If I understand read people correctly, you're kind of saying we did this in, you know, the Canary Islands and we can do it for you too. Is that correct? That is correct, but we are still in the process. So we're not done yet. Right. <laughs> no, yeah, 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 yeah. No, that's fair. And, you know, there, there are many components that, you know, conferences, co-living, co-working, community collaboration, it says on your front page, mm -hmm. you know, it's impressive that all your, <laughs> you do only do things that starts with the letter C. That's very easy to remember. And umbrella you're kind of putting under all of this is this idea of an ecosystem, mm -hmm. which I do find, you know, very interesting and which we have explored on this podcast a couple of other times and that governments are particularly interested in. Mm -hmm. And it is kind of like the new wave. I don't know if you remember, but in the 2000s, everyone wanted to create their own Silicon Valley. And the thing that seems to be the thing for the 2020s is this thing. People want to create this sort of remote work nomad hub ecosystem where you track these nomads and remote workers who are often, you know, entrepreneurs and creatives, and they come to your shores and they create a lot of economic, you know, opportunity and, and life in general. Yes, I, I think that to your point, which I totally agree, a lot of countries, a lot of cities were trying to build the new Silicon Valley, which in my opinion was a total, a huge mistake. Right. The reason why Silicon Valley is Silicon Valley took 200 years to happen. And it was a combination of a lot of different things that actually made it thrive and become Silicon Valley. I think with this new remote movement and digitalization and a distribution of the workforce worldwide, even the concept of Silicon Valley is probably obsolete. So now there could be a lot of Gran Canarias all over the place. And it was a matter of community leaders and, and also uh, politics and also the entrepreneurial community to make it happen. But certainly, I think that each ecosystem will be different. It won't be replicable and called the same way that everybody was trying to replicate Silicon Valley somewhere else. Yeah. Well, I think it's much easier this time around, you know, partly because so much of the stuff is virtual. So, you know, if I were to move to Green Canaria, most of my life would stay the same. Certainly everything related to, you know, my company job would be identical. And even, you know, a, a significant share of my social life is virtual. There are less things you need to, you know, why people failed at recreating Silicon Valley is because you had to recreate everything. But now it's more like, you know, you can make this ecosystem where you, you know, make a great place to live and work. And then they plug into the sort of the city in the cloud, you know, which is the internet. Well, to, to connect it with that, which I, I totally agree. Um, the repeople means repopulate. Uh, repeople is actually a word that, interestingly enough, existed right around the Industrial Revolution in the 17th century. It died out and they start being used as repopulate. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting that this happened at the same time that the Industrial Revolution happened because that's when everybody 
migrated into cities because the factories were there. Yeah. And after the factories, you know, started to move out, the finance the sectors and the business and the and the offices stayed in that center, right? So therefore it still created that attraction to the cities. And there's a word in people that for me actually it makes a huge difference. I think this new world that we will encounter and this new movement, it's all about the people. Mm. Before it was all about the companies. Yes. You would go to Silicon Valley because there were a lot of companies there, a lot of entrepreneurs, and you wanted to be in that ecosystem. Mm. Now it's about attracting people, attracting talent. And that's what's going to generate the new ecosystems because the rest is going to be digital. Yes. And that's what I think makes a difference. Yes. Because I absolutely think you're right. And that's maybe the essence of the difference in competition. Like before, cities competed for companies, only a certain kind of companies, the mobile companies. And now they will compete for people. And that has the possibility for certain areas to be repopulated because they're able to attract this new sort of citizen. So how do you think the sort of cities and countries who want to adapt to this new world, who sort of want to take this opportunity how should they go about doing that? Well, it's certainly a challenge. And it's a particular challenge for cities that have been the most successful. I think that with this new revolution, some of the big hubs like London, Paris, Berlin, even you know San Francisco, New York, a lot of people are already questioning themselves about why do they have to live there? Mm-hmm. Because this is connected to the concept of quality of life, right? And quality of life have it's a combination of a lot of different aspects, right? And it's different for some people. Some people love the urban scene and love to live in New York and to pay a very expensive rent if they can afford it. But a lot of people were forced to live in New York because that's where their headquarters were and that's where their bosses wanted them to be and to come every day to the office. With this transition and the corporate world and the whole stigma around the remote work in the corporate scene that, in my opinion, it's already totally gone, not only gone, but a transition to remote work that initially was temporary. It's been already a year that companies have been working remotely. So this is a structural change that has happened globally in a very short period of time. So obviously, even after the pandemic is gone, there's going to be a lot of different changes. And, and one of them, in my opinion, is going to be the fact that people are going to start to repopulate some areas that perhaps before were unpopular for these knowledge workers, mm-hmm. but that offer a high quality of living. Yes. And that has different meanings for a lot of people, but often could be related to, you know, warm weather, low cost of living, probably rural areas or areas that are more connected to nature or closer to nature, probably not as large as the big hubs. So mm. that's an opportunity for a lot of regions around the world but also a challenge for a lot of cities and even regions that may don't offer that quality of life. Absolutely. And I see that here in San Francisco where rents are down 30% and, you know, they probably will come a little bit up again. But many of my friends, you know, I have one friend who's a work in safe doing. He moved from San Francisco and, you know, bought a lake house in South Carolina, <laughs> which is, <laughs> you know, certainly not densely populated. And that's, of course, because it can. And uh, like you said, that offers a high quality of life for a relatively low cost, you know, compared to living in San Francisco. 
instead of living in a small cramped apartment, him and his now young family has a, a, you know, a sprawling sort of lake house to live on for the same amount of money or even less. And part of grasping that opportunity and becoming the place that these new mobile remote workers may consider moving to is this idea of creating an ecosystem which is, of course, the challenge for this person, Michael, because in South Carolina, there isn't much of an ecosystem, and that's a challenge. So let's go into that, building an ecosystem. You want to build a place to attract these people. So how do you define ecosystem first? So my definition of ecosystem connected to uh, you know, our conversation, because it could have different meanings. It's a combination of infrastructures, services, and community. So basically, people. So if we go back to the example of your friend who moved to the lake house, let's picture that there could be other friends around the area that also decide to move there mm. that are also like-minded, that, that might also be in non-knowledge workers working uh, uh, for, for whichever projects, and they build a community of entrepreneurs living in that particular area. Mm. And there's services such as obviously high-speed internet that allows them to work remotely and to connect with the rest of their teams and their workforce worldwide. But also there might be a co-working space, you know, around the lake where they can gather and also not only work from home, but also work from a co-working space that is nearby. And there could be activities and things to do to really connect them and allow them to have fun and perhaps there's a hotel also on the lake yeah. that can hold team retreats mm. for their companies and their teams that they can come all to the lake and work together and hang out mm. and enjoy the lifestyle while also being productive and, and working. For me, that's a good example of an ecosystem that can be built and designed to help those people who decide to move there thrive as well as they did in San Francisco. Yes. <laughs> yeah, when you say it like that, it sort of upgrades the lake house to paradise almost. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, that's an incredible vision. And as you were talking, I can absolutely see how that is what people want. They want to be around people who share their kind of interests and values and their friends. And when they're mobile, you can sort of imagine this reshuffling happening where people move to a place, but then they kind of like <laughs> you know, urge their friends to move there too. And you it will start to get this clustering happening. But the clustering will be according to things like interest. Uh, like it would be like, like a, you can, you can almost imagine like a subreddit settling somewhere, <laughs> kind of, totally. but not as some grand project, but just because, you know, the clustering happens, like you want to move where your friends live. If you can, I would love to. So, wow, that's an inspiring future and an interesting one. The key aspect here is lifestyle. So some people would love to live on that lake because they love fishing or they love, I don't know, kite surfing on the lake. But last week I was talking to someone that wanted to develop an ecosystem in the Swiss Alps because he loves to snowboard. And that's all he cares about on his free time. Mm. So this could be done in very different locations all over the world that is connected to your preferences around lifestyle. So therefore, the interesting part is that having an amazing lifestyle doesn't compete with having an amazing professional career or business project or whatever you want to do in life. Yeah. They can both thrive. And, and that's huge in my opinion. So do you have uh, some examples of some ecosystems, you know, beyond, and of course, I would love to also hear about the Canary Islands, but 
What ecosystems do you see particularly fast growing in the world right now? In my opinion, one of the great examples, and, and there's some interesting already results there to be shared, is Tulsa in Oklahoma, which mm. I know for many people, it won't sound as an attractive place to go to, but they're doing an amazing job. They launched the Tulsa Remote Program, I think, almost two years ago. They attracted quite an interesting group of people there. But one of the very interesting side effects, in my opinion, of the things that they've been managed to do in only two years is that Tulsa was one of the cities that Tesla had as a finalist for the new track factory competing against Austin. And this is like, I don't know, making compete a monster against, you know, uh, David, right? Like yeah. the two very different cities and different, uh, but, but Tesla was looking into the talent that was moving into Tulsa. Wow. And that's what makes a huge difference. Yeah. I mean, they wanted to be there because they knew that that particular city was doing the right job to attract talent. And they didn't care that they were other companies. They care that there were the right people there to be hired and to be work for, for Tesla. And that's what makes it. Wow. Yeah. Uh, no, that, that really matches what, you know, we, you know, as we were predicting, talking about this internally in safety wing, we saw how this opportunity was there for kind of anywhere who was just an early mover. And then by virtue of uh, growth and the sort of self-reinforcing effect of growth, sort of success begets success kind of effect, could become really great winners in the future. You know, whoever were the first movers would become number one and maybe stay number one, you know, and as the whole world becomes mobile, you know, that can really change the landscape of cities. Uh, totally. And also distribute more the population around the world because as technology evolves and as, you know, connectivity probably in the near future with Starlink and other technologies that are spreading connectivity worldwide, you could be in the middle of the Sahara Desert if you wanted to create a, a particular ecosystem there. It could happen anywhere. Yeah. And that's the beauty of it. It distributes the world more evenly and anything could happen anywhere. Before, you had to have the privilege to be somewhere, to be someone, right? Mm -hmm. Now you could be anywhere and you could be still successful at a global level if you have the right knowledge and the right skills and do it the right way. Absolutely. So in the past, you had to get to a particular city to access that economy. But now this sort of internet city is the economy we're all participating in. Then it's more like, where do you want to plug in? Like where in the world do you want to, <laughs> do you want to be? How do you envision the ecosystem for remote workers to develop if we get into those three pieces you mentioned in the definition? So that's one infrastructure, two community, and three services. So number one, infrastructure. What are the components and requirements that are needed for the infrastructure to be good? Well, at the moment, I think the most crucial part of infrastructure is connectivity. Obviously, you can't build an ecosystem of knowledge workers without connectivity. And that's what's limiting a, a lot of locations worldwide to, to become more popular because the connectivity is, is not great. So you can't work remotely. You can't connect with your team, you, with your customers in a place where internet doesn't work well. So I think that the most important aspect in terms of infrastructures is access to broadband. Yep, I see. So it's just a good, stable, fast internet, number one. So number two, community. You know, how do you create this feeling of community what are the components and requirements to do that? Well, I think that with the example that we shared before, you want to 
be able to hang out around like-minded people, people that you find interesting, that share common interests, that you can interact and you can grow as a person. And this can happen at a digital level nowadays. It doesn't necessarily have to happen only on site. But I still think that, I mean, we are human beings and the personal touch, the personal connection is still very important. And you want to live in a place where you can, you know, call your buddies and go have a beer at the bar next door and just hang out. So that part is still important. And particularly when we are talking about attracting knowledge workers to other parts of the world, if you go to a new city because you feel that, you know, an interesting place to be and you might think about relocating there temporarily or indefinitely, and that particular place has a thriving community of also remote workers, you feel like home from minute one because you have people to connect, to interact, to engage with and to socialize with. People at cities that don't have these communities, you might feel lonely. It might take you a while to, you know, uh, socialize and to connect with people. So that's why community, the community aspect is so important. Hmm. And also when we think about, you know, scaling and, and other things happening, like the creation of new companies, when ecosystems really start to thrive, you need a critical mass of people, of knowledge workers to make that happen. And that's what made, you know, big cities thrive in the past. Yeah. And that's why I think that the new ecosystem will definitely have to focus on in order to succeed. So what is the threshold? If you were to put a number on it, how many remote workers and nomads need to be in a location before it's before the community emerges? I think it's not necessarily quantitative. It's also important to be qualitative and also to have the right people leading the community. So it's very important to have those community managers, community drivers to really activate and make things happen so that people can engage, interact, and enjoy a specific location. For example, just to give you an example, right now in, in Las Palmas, in Canaria, in my hometown, I think that there's about 3,000, 4,000 remote workers in town at the moment. Okay. And Las Palmas is it's a city that's around 400,000 population. Mm -hmm. So when you compare both numbers, it looks they seem, might seem small, but it's already definitely enough to have people enjoy, interact, and in particular to make a location attractive. Yeah. Plus, I found, at least in our surveys, that nomads have much more founders among them. And founders are, you know, people who usually take initiative, you know, so they have this outsized influence on a community because they, you know, take initiative and start projects and things like that. Have you seen that? Totally. Recently, we uh, helped, uh, and actually a, a nomad uh, found an initiative here in, in Gran Canaria. He was interested in creating a local impact, hmm. collaborating in NGOs that were doing different types of things in the city. But not only for himself, but he thought, okay, well, I want to make this available for other remote workers, other nomads that come here to be able to facilitate the fact that they contribute to the local community. Yeah. And actually, we created a concept called Isla Remota, so remote island in Spain in collaboration with another co-working space. And the idea is basically facilitating the connection between local NGOs and remote workers that are temporarily or indefinitely in town also to improve their experience and the connection between the local and the expat communities in town. 
which I think it also makes a huge difference compared to other hubs of remote workers around the world. Yeah. And in the sort of practical components, it's the three C's, co-working, co-living, and conferences. Is there anything else? Community, co-working, co-living, the conference is just a way to get the community also together and also to invite others to visit us. But I think that's a pretty good summary of the things that are basic, at least, in, in an ecosystem and a specific location. So, and thirdly, services. Which services are needed to make a thriving ecosystem? Well, I've been talking to the local hospitality sector, for example, in order to teach them about what are the needs of remote workers. And one of the things that it's totally needed is flexible accommodation. Yeah. In many cities, you either have the Airbnbs for a week or two, or maybe now a month, and then you have the long-term contracts, which involves you know a lot of paperwork and, and a lot of hassle and very little flexibility. But in between, there's not that many options. In a specific location where you want to attract remote workers, that's one of the needs that need to be there. Flexible accommodation. Mm. It can be on your own if you like to live by your own, if you like to live with your family. It could be in, in a model of co-living if you want to hang out and live with other remote workers or other people around because you want to socialize and that fits better for your preference. But if you don't have any of those alternatives, it's hard for a specific region or location to really attract more people because the first problem they're going to encounter is accommodation. Second, cafes, for example. The concept of a Starbucks where you could go and work there. It doesn't have to be a co-working, but it could be a place where you could sit down and have a coffee and work and have a good internet connection and also meet other people that are around. Yeah, This is not the case in many cities, at least in Europe. This is a concept that is still to be evolved. So you need to teach the local entrepreneurs that are on hospitality, okay, well, if you want to attract this type of customer, you need to provide the right services for them, the right desk to sit on, the right connection on the internet, allow him to stay as much as he wants and you know, figure out a way to charge for that specific service if you need to. Short-term living, cafes, that seems pretty doable. Although I guess there can be a large you know, difference in quality, I remember going to this cafe in London and I was just amazed at how cool a cafe it's possible to make. You know, it's fairly accomplishable. By the way, do you see any countries or cities established like nomad boards as similar to sort of tourist boards that are responsible for making the city attractive and ready for nomads and remote workforce? Well, I see now a lot of cities turning and looking into this new segment for two reasons. First of all, because traditional tourism is on hold. Yeah. It's been a hold for the last year. So obviously they had to look for alternatives. But on the other side, with this new wave of corporate nomads and new remote workers that are in the market, uh, they were, at least in the Canary Islands, they were mostly the only ones who were actually traveling because they were relocating. They were not really traveling for holidays. And the Canary Islands had a very good situation and very good conditions to run away from many other countries that were doing worse during this pandemic. So now a lot of people are paying attention to this concept. In fact, last week we were in, a, in an economic forum in Greece. And, you know, in the conversation we had the concept of who is going to become in Europe the new Florida in the U.S. And the new Florida, meaning Florida traditionally in the U.S. is the state where all the wealthy people retire. They want to go south. They want to go somewhere warm. But 
the whole concept of retiring somewhere, it's obsolete. Why not live there forever, right? Uh, if you can. So who is going to become an attract, not only those who retired and want to move somewhere warm and nice where they find that quality of living, but who's going to become the country that is going to attract all these knowledge workers that also want that quality of living every day. And that's a very interesting concept. And I think that we're going to see a lot of countries in Southern Europe trying to attract knowledge workers for Northern Europe just because the climate and the quality of living is better. I agree. And if you see, I mean, we just had someone from Umaya Village, William Mercer, on the podcast, and uh, they're kind of rebuilding a resort in Belize mm -hmm. into a nomad village. And I don't know if you ever looked at those communities in Florida, but they're kind of resorts. Mm -hmm. Like they're kind of built like on the resort model. So you can totally see this happening, which is that people make these sort of resort towns, but where people are supposed to live, kind of similar to what they did in Florida, but for regular people. <laughs> Before we move on, I would love to also hear your pitch. What makes the canneries great? Why is the quality of life as you define it, so good in Las Palmas? Well, some say that we have the best climate in the world to start with, and I sort of agree with that. Even though geographically we are off the coast from, from Africa, we are part of Spain and part of Europe, uh, all that means in terms of security, the finance, education, health, which is also some, uh, something very important, as you know, mm. and Connectivity, it's amazing. There's a characteristic that positions the Canary Islands with a high-speed internet because all the fiber optic cable that connects all the west coast of Africa is basically comes to the Canary Islands and then goes to Europe. And that's why we're privileged. And we can find at any home a standard 600 megabyte symmetrical connection by default. And that doesn't happen in many other places. And that happens here. That's what I have at home. Yeah. And it's just getting better. And they are upgrading us to one gigabyte for free, which is ridiculous. I mean, I don't know why I need so much, but uh, but still, it's there. The cost of living, it's fairly low compared to other regions in Europe. What is it, the cost of living? Well, I would say that here, uh, just to, to give you a rate, because it obviously will depend on, on how you want to live, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but a lot of the remote workers that come visit us and stay here for a while, between you know renting, even if it's a flexible accommodation, which might be a bit more expensive than a permanent one, they can live off 1,000 to 1,500 euros. Right. Pretty good with all their expenses. So that's a very good deal. And I think that what makes a difference as a destination, the Canary Islands are eight islands in total. And the diversity that you can find within the islands, it's huge. So, for example, if you go to Fuerteventura, it's desert. And it's all about water sports. So if you love windsurfing, kitesurfing, the world championships are hosted there every year. You might love that. And you might, that's the lifestyle you want. You can find it there. Mm -hmm. But on the western side in La Palma, which is totally green, the whole island almost is a national park. If you love hiking, if you love nature, mm. that's La Palma. And in between the desert and La Palma, we have everything else. So. What I was mentioning before of connecting to your lifestyle, except for skiing, which it does snow sometimes, but very seldom, and there's no ski resorts in the Canary Islands, mm. we can offer everything else for every single lifestyle there is. So that's why it makes it quite interesting, because in a unique region, you can find all this diversity 
and there's a thriving community. I think that's the other factor that I would think that it will make a difference. We've been working on community building in several islands for already six years, and that makes a huge difference, I think. All right. Sounds fairly attractive. I'm sure there are many who's listening to this who might want to consider La Palma, as I now realize it's pronounced. If we look now kind of into the future a little bit towards the end here, a few years ago, we would be talking most about digital nomads, but now sort of remote workers in general, where the remote workforce is emergent. So what do you see as the difference between the two? Well, I think the digital nomad obviously has a component of nomad involved, and that means that you are in constant movement, right? Uh, so the digital nomad, in my opinion, will also stick around for a short period of time, meaning maybe a month, maybe two, maybe three, but normally not much longer, and will relocate and, and go somewhere else. Uh, that's, for me, you know, a way of defining digital nomad. When we talk about a remote worker, it doesn't necessarily imply that you are constantly moving. It might mean that a remote worker could be working at home in his own hometown, or might take the freedom that he can work remotely and relocate for six months, for a year to a different place, or move permanently to a different location. So that's sort of like what I envision to be the difference. And there's an, a new term that also arises in this pandemic, which is the corporate nomad. So yeah. the professional who was working for a, a large corporations and through the pandemic gets you know the freedom to work from home or work remotely and decides to also relocate. Mm. And we'll have to see what happens after the pandemic is over, because I envision that many companies are still going to allow remote work forever in different ways. And we will have to pay attention to see what those corporate nodes decide to do. If, if they will stick around and stay in their actual base, or if they decide to relocate somewhere else. You see companies now, I saw Spotify went full permanent remote, I think it was last week or two weeks ago. And they, in their announcement said, you know, we're going for a work from anywhere policy where they almost encourage their members to become nomads or their employees. So what can companies like Spotify, you know, best accommodate team members who are living and working abroad? First of all, I think that we need to take these announcements with some caution. Last week, I was talking to someone very experienced on global mobility, and we were discussing, okay, can a company with 100,000 employees go fully remote, allow work from anywhere? And he said with his own experience that it was impossible. And it was impossible because of compliance and regulations and a lot of things that don't make that easy that a company that size allows everyone to do whatever they want and go wherever they want. So we'll have to see how this evolves and what that clause of work from anywhere means. If it means work from anywhere in Europe or work from anywhere in the US or only work in Europe and the US or really, you know, go anywhere in the world and travel from there. So I think that it's still a bit early to see how this evolves. The great news is that what companies were hiding a year ago, some corporates that actually allowed remote work there, they didn't talk about it because mm. they didn't know how the market was going to react to it, now are using it as a marketing tool and, and in some way as a competitive advantage. And I think that's going to drive a huge change. And eventually, I think that those problems that this friend of mine mentioned about global mobility are going to eventually get solved because also, governments are speeding to regulate remote work. Mm. 
Spain announced a new law in three months, which was crazy uh, in terms of the timing that normally laws take place. But it made sense because even the public workforce was working remotely, so they were working illegally and they had to rush into making it somehow legal so that they could continue that way. Yeah. And as other countries follow this path and start regulating and understanding what remote work means and how it's totally different from the way that they used to think about work and companies. And other things evolve, such as visas, for example. Visas are totally obsolete. Visas were built to protect the workforce in a country, the nationals, against others coming in the country and take their jobs. But with remote work, I mean, they're coming with their job in their back. So why would you set up uh, visa restrictions while well, they are not only bringing their jobs with them, but they're also bringing a lot of taxes with them. They're going to spend taxes. They're going to spend money. They're probably going to create new jobs. Yeah. So now also a lot of countries, and particularly smaller countries that have more flexibility with visas, are announcing these specific visas. So mm. in the next couple of years, we're going to see a lot of regulations, taxes, uh, visas change that are probably going to allow large companies to become remote from anywhere, probably more realistic. Yeah, fascinating. No, and I definitely share your impression that companies are advertising that they work from anywhere and doing so heavily. Like that is seen as being, you know, both a competent company and sort of forward-looking. And it's, of course, an attractive perk and all of those things. So that has been a very large change over the last couple of years among the big corporates. Lastly, you know, looking even further ahead. So how do you think the world, you know, if this works out, you know, as Mark Andreessen used to say, uh, you know, it's huge if true. If the way you see future fully propagates, how will the transition be? You know, we're entering into a period of tremendous change. So how will the transition be and where will we end up after it's all worked itself out? Uh, well, that's a very difficult question. <laughs> I guess I can share what uh, I would love to see happening, mm. but uh, obviously it will be probably a long way to get there. And this is connected to you know what we were discussing before about you know how things work in the past and how they should work in the future. So, if we really want to embrace remote work and this whole new concept of distribution of the workforce anywhere around the world. We have to solve other very important issues like, you know, how do countries deal with taxes? How do countries deal with visas? A lot of very structural things around the different countries around the world and the different economies around the world. Yeah. Because the impact is so large that it it's basically a reset of the system, right? Mm -hmm. But eventually what I would love to see happening is the fact that, that you can freely work anywhere in the world potentially pay taxes where you are currently living. So sort of like distribute, you know, the your income and your taxes in, in the places where you're actually using the resources, right? So it also generates a more a distribution of wealth around the world. Yeah. And allows everyone to choose where they want to live and how they want to live in a more distributed way. Yes. Obviously that would force all countries to agree with a lot of things that uh, it's probably very unrealistic. But in my opinion, that will be a lovely place to live. Yes, I love the vision. And, you know, certainly we would love to 
work with you to bring that about. You know, we have this project Plumia and, you know, part of that, that thing we have talked about there and, you know, that idea that you can sort of move to different countries and the countries are like the custodians of that geographic area so that you pay taxes to them when you're there, but then when you move on and, you know, that seems like a very stable and healthy way to do that. So, uh, I agree it is quite a challenge to build, but, uh, it seems possible. So uh, I would love to uh, to see that happen as well. Listen, Nacho, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I'm mindful that we are over time. Thanks a lot for joining. I've been very you know, inspired. I, I would love to go to La Palma and the Canaries again and work and live from there. Where can people who want to find out more about you and Repeople and Nomad City, where would you direct them? Well, super simple, repeople.co and nomadcity.org people.co and nomadcity.org okay thank you very much and thanks a lot for joining it's been very interesting to learn about what you're doing thank you for having me thanks for listening for more insights into building a successful remote company head to buildingremotely.com there you will find episode notes articles and book chapters you can also subscribe to future episodes and recommend guests we should invite See you in two weeks for the next episode of Building Remotely.